Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. All right, good morning. Welcome back from Thanksgiving. Oh gosh, what a great time, right? I mean, you can sleep in late, and then you get up, and you eat more food than you ever should have eaten, and nobody complains. They're all like, it's expected. It's so cool. There's football on all day, and before you go to bed, you can even eat more dessert. Like, it's just a it's a perfect day, really. Now, I was sick uh, after eating all that food, but it was worth it. So uh, that was great. But, I, you know, reality for many of you starts again tomorrow. So right back to the, to the work week. Uh, mine actually starts today. This is my Monday, so I'm back at it. Uh, so so I just need you guys to be with me, all right? Get rid of that turkey coma, hang with me a little bit. And I know some of you are not as happy after last night's game between Clemson and Carolina. Uh, just a normal part of our day, you know, when we uh, do this once a year. I got a uh, text actually last night before the game, asked me who I was pulling for. And I said, listen, I just hope everybody has a good time. That's, uh, so, you know, it's hard to be diplomatic, you know, here. Uh, my daughter went to Clemson. I paid them a lot of money. They owe me some wins. Um, and that's all right. Uh, and then the Gamecocks, yeah, it's been a rough year for both. So maybe next year they'll both be better. The game will be a little more fun. But either way. Um, all right. So today we're going to jump into some stuff. Before we do, let me make a public service announcement. Somebody had asked me at one point, how can I find out about stuff going on in the church by way of things that the board is deciding or what you're wrestling with? Uh, and so we're making board minutes available to the church body. So if you ever want to hear what our church board is talking about, which by the way, it's pretty boring stuff, I'm just going to be honest with you, but <clears throat> if you ever want to read about a board meeting, if you go to our website, sandhillschurch.org, and then find the staff, leadership and staff page, and then at the bottom of that page, there is a request button. And you can just click on that. It says, actually, you know, would you like to request a copy of the board minutes? And you can click on that, and we'll send those to you. Uh, just a little thing for <clears throat> those who might be interested in how we kind of do the stuff at the church. All right, but on back to the good stuff. Uh, if you have your Bibles handy, pull out 1 Samuel. And today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Now, to get to 1 Samuel 27, you have to go through 26. And it's been a week, and you've had a lot going on. So maybe we should review a little bit of chapter 26. And chapter 26 was a great chapter, another great chapter. So Saul was trying to kill David again. And David has the opportunity to take his life, but he spares his life again. And, uh, and the context was just different this time. So this time, Saul and his 3,000 soldiers were encamped. God put them into a deep sleep. David and his nephew actually snuck into the camp. They had the, uh, the opportunity to kill Saul, but they denied it. And they uh, took the spear that was by his head and basically his canteen. They took the water pot. Uh, and then they left the camp, and then they called out to the soldiers from uh, across a small distance and uh, kind of chastised, rebuked Saul for chasing him. David did. Uh, and then Saul, if you remember, very apologetic. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. You're right. You're holy. I'm sinful. Like, I'll never do this again, I promise, uh, which is the same kind of thing he says over and over again. Uh, so that's kind of the, the preface to where we get to chapter 27. So go to 1 Samuel chapter 27. And we're going to look a little bit of David, who I think is, I think he's struggling to trust here. And I don't mean that with trust King Saul. I think he's struggling to trust God. So in this regard, I do think today's message, at least I think when we get to the application of it, is actually going to be something you can really relate to. This idea of it is, it is hard to trust God when I can't predict the outcome. And that's probably true for all of us. It is, it's hard to trust God when I can't predict the outcome. And so uh, that's... That's what faith is. And the, the struggle is always kind of a, of a, a balancing act between faith and fear. 
faith and fear. And I think you'll see some of that in David's life. You'll experience some of that in your own life and maybe the application as well. 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1. Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. And then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So it's interesting this is David's conclusion, because if you go back to chapter 26 and you look at verse 21, this is after David and his nephew have escaped. They've called back, Saul, why are you doing this? Why are you trying to get to me? Uh, and this is Saul's response. <clears throat> I have sinned. Return my son, David, for I will no more do you harm because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly. I have made a great mistake. Now, this is Saul in the presence of his 3,000 soldiers, in the presence of David and his nephew, confessing that he has sinned. And like, I have messed up. I shouldn't do this. And when he says to David, hey, David, just return. You can return. What he says to David really is like, you can come live in the capital again. You can come live in my household again. I'm safe now. I, I figured out what's going on. It's me. I'm the problem. And David's conclusion right at the beginning of chapter 27 is, this man's going to kill me. <laughs> like, he is, he is not trustworthy. And I said this last week, like unrighteous people act unrighteously. That's just what they do in their DNA. And we have to stop being surprised over and over again when unrighteous people fail us. I mean, righteous people fail us from time to time, let alone the unrighteous. But when an unrighteous person just does something wrong to you, they're just being who they are. And so not, not anything we should be surprised by, but that's where David is. David's like, I can't trust this guy. I can't trust anything coming out of his mouth. So now he's decided he will actually leave the country. Verse two. So David arose and he went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. All right, so pause there for just a second. Uh, so David is traveling. He's got 600 guys with him. Now we're gonna find out too before we're done with the chapter. David is not just with his 600 guys. He's got 600 soldiers that he commands. But time's been going on now a little ways. And, and this is what we know. God has put a natural desire within us for companionship. And so you got 600 men. They're not going to be traveling around lonely for long. They're going to they're meet some ladies along the way. And those ladies are going to become wives. And when they become wives there's going to be kids. And so what we're going to find out before we finish the chapter is it's not just David and his 600. It is David, his 600, their spouses. David has his spouses and, and they're, going to have, they're going to have kids. And so they're not just 600 people traveling around. They're a small village traveling around. They need security. They need safety. They need provisions. Like they've, they've got to establish a home here. So this is why he goes to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. Uh, let's bring up the map real quick. All right, so I want to take you to where we're talking about today. We're in the southern part of Israel. This is the southern part of Israel, bordered on the east uh, with the Dead Sea, on the west by the Mediterranean Sea. Um, Philistia is in the southwest corner of where Israel is. Um, and Gath, as you can see, is kind of the, towards the north of your screen there. So that's Gath. Um, and that's kind of the, the capital city for this particular king. And then if you remember this, because if you're thinking, I, doesn't this sound so familiar? It should. Because back in chapter 21... David showed up. But the difference is when he showed up in chapter 21, he was uh, anonymous and alone. So he didn't say his name. But the thing is that when he showed up, people looked at him and they were like, don't we know you? Aren't you the guy who's like killed a lot of our relatives? <laughs> Aren't you the guy who's killed our champion Goliath because Goliath was from there? Um, and then, uh, so then David acted insane 
And so he was like, nope, I'm not him. You know, and they're, they're like, I, I, whatever. And then he vanishes. And so there could be some thought like, well, don't you think the king would know this is David again or what's going on there? But, but part of it here, and this is kind of a Bible study thing. So Achish, it seems like historically was probably a title and, and not, not a person per se. So like Achish, uh, like if you think about it this way, like the title pastor. So if you mention to somebody, oh, I was just talking to pastor and he said, blah, 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 blah. Well, like pastor who? Like pastor's a title, but some might think, well, that automatically I'm thinking you're talking about Jeff, but you could be like, oh, actually I was talking to pastor Tom. And so like it could be different. So Achish might think of it like that way as a title because here it says Achish, the son of Maok. Now that's a new designation. We didn't see that in chapter 21. And the thought is that perhaps now when he goes to Gath, it's a different king. And so he's meeting somebody different or interacting with somebody new. Either way, he's going back to Gath. Um, and then we go back into verse three. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. So now I think it's funny because like at the, right after the last chapter, you would think, okay, Saul, Saul has to have this figured out. And David's like, that guy's going to kill me. And then sure enough, he was out to get him again. Like, he, like they had just parted ways and Saul was already planning. And then he hears these left. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, then we'll just let him go now and he'll, he'll be fine living with our enemies. So uh, now we go forward a little bit. And this is now we're going to see a little bit of David for himself struggling for the sense of security for the people that he's leading. Go to verse five. Then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day, Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. So now, this is an interesting comment that, that David had made. Uh, so he says to him, uh, that I may dwell there, for why should your servant dwell. So like, you're so, so he's identifying himself like, I am willingly submitting myself to you. Now, this is what you have to understand. When David says to a Philistine king, I'm willingly submitting myself to you, he's saying, I am siding with you against my own people. So I'm asking, if you'll give me shelter, I'm your guy. I'll support you. I'll take care of you. I'll fight for you, which means then really what David is pledging is I will fight against my own people for you. Now, he's not saying it explicitly, but it is implicitly implied as he says this. Uh, he's, he's talking about the idea that, that I'm on your side and I'm with you. I just want you to give me a place to dwell. But he says, I don't want to live in the royal city. You just put us in some distant town. Now, it sounds like humility. Put us out in a country town. Give us a country town. Yeah, I don't want to be here. I'm not royal. You're royal. Like, it sounds that. But really what it is is David had some plans that if the king had found out what David was going to do and how he wanted to live his life with his men the king would not have approved. And so he's like, just put us, put us in the country. <clears throat> but it is funny to me uh, because David and his guys are kind of country folk, uh, which I think makes them really relatable if you're kind of a country person. Um, and if you think about the guys he's been with, they've been living off the land, uh, which means they love to hunt, they love to fish, they love being outdoors. Uh, they're soldiers who love their country, they stand for what's right, and they love the Lord. Like, these are awesome guys. <laughs> these are guys you could hang with. You're like, I can get behind these. They probably listen to country music. Um, I don't know that I'm on board with that, but I, like, I get it. Like, that's just, they're cool guys. So um, this is, these are respectable 
good, God-fearing guys who love their country and, and love people. Uh, and so they go to Ziklag. So we'll put this up here for you. So Ziklag, to be fair, Ziklag, the actual location of it is kind of lost in time, but this is the thought. And so when it says here, the kings of Israel, you know, hold on to it to this day, uh, that day has passed. <laughs> they, don't, they don't hold on to it any longer. It's gone. Uh, but they think it was kind of in that area, which is where David and his guys um, would have been, ended up staying there. And they stay there for a while. And it mentions here they stay for a year and four months. A year and four months. At what point in that time? Now, David doesn't know how long they'll be there. So in the journey, how long in the midst of that journey do you think David just finally is like looking at God going, God, what are you doing? I, I thought I was anointed. He was. He was anointed by Samuel, the high priest of all of Israel. And the idea would be that one day you'll be king. And yet he's not. And so he's, he's a guy who has expected all of this blessing is in front of him. And he's receiving none of it. And not only is he receiving none of it, He's in a foreign country, a foreign place. His own people hate him and are trying to kill him. He's struggling to lead these people. So he's got all these leadership responsibilities to provide for people when he doesn't have a job. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know how to protect and to provide when I have nothing to give. Like, there had to be a point at some point where he's just looking at, at God, just going, God, what are you doing? Now, this, I think, for us is where David's journey becomes highly relatable. Because I bet that there are times and probably often in your life where you're just tempted to cry out to God, God, what are you doing? Like I am in a place I don't feel like I should be at. I don't have the provision that I feel like I need. I have responsibilities I feel I can't fulfill. Like why are you putting all of this on me? I don't know what to do. And so I really think in that moment, you're actually in a, a great place, though you can't tell it. Um, because I think if David were to have this conversation with God, and I do think if God were to answer back, I think he would say one of two things, probably. One would be either like, hey, David, relax. I put you there. It's not an accident you're there. I put you there because I'm teaching you something. I think it could be that. Or it could be this. I didn't put you there. <laughs> like, this is just circumstances of life, and you chose to go there. But I am 100% with you all the way. Like you are not ever going to lack for my presence. Because either way it is, whether God put him in the situation or whether God's delivering him through the situation, either way, God's presence is still solid. God is still involved. He is still teaching. He is still working. He is still training. He has not vanished. He has not stopped providing. Like all of these things that David would be wrestling with is, is the fact that David's, David's own struggles are interfering with how he's viewing God. And I wonder if that's our situation sometimes where we're sitting there questioning God when he has put us in the situation that we're in. Or if he hasn't put us there, if sin is guided or we've put ourselves there, that he hasn't left our side either way. He's still in it with us. He's still going to provide. David is ignorant to the blessings that are just in front of him. But it's still his reality. And I wonder if that's us sometimes, is that like we're wrestling, we're struggling, we're sad, we're frustrated, and we just have no idea the blessings that are just around the corner for us. But I guarantee you this, that, that the God of the blessing is also the God of the difficulty. And he's going to provide for you in that moment. The struggle's not with God, the struggle's with us, the struggles that we uh, struggle to trust. And so God will elevate when he is ready. Until that time, just kind of settle in and trust him. Uh, but David is trying to think very rationally and realistically that I need to provide for my people. So he is struggling with the thought of prosperity at this point. He needs to see his people prosper. So go to verse 8. Now David and his men went up and they made raids against the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. 
And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments and come back to Achish. And when Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negeb of Judah or against the Negeb of the Jeremulites or against the Negeb of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. All right. I don't know if you picked up on all that's going on there, but there should be a part of you going, what? <laughs> what, is, what is he doing now? So now we, when we think of David, there's a phrase we often associate with David. The phrase we often associate with David is this. David, a man after God's own heart, slaughtering men, women, and children. And we would all say, like, well, I know, I know he struggled with some sin. Yeah, he did. Adultery and murder were a couple big ones. Um, like here, he's wiping out villages, now, here's what's also weird about this. Achish is cool with it. He comes to Achish is like, who'd you slaughter today? He's like, oh, I slaughtered these people over here. Achish is like, cool. Well, why are you cool with that? Like, <laughs> that should bother you. But so here's, but let me pause for a moment because this is where we in the 21st century in the US need, need to pause for a second. We have become very sanitized towards this kind of stuff. Like, this is just not a part of our world. You do realize this is how the world came to be, Right? This is how every country has become what it is. This is what the, um, uh, we're talking about the um, Philistines right now. This is how the Philistines lived life. The Israelites, that's how they lived life. That's how they became to be. That's how America came to be. You conquer people, you take their stuff, now you're a country. Like, that's just how it works. And so there is a part of this which, while we're reading this and we're like, what? In their world, very normal. Just a very normal way that, it's not that they liked it. It's just how it worked. That's how the world worked those days. And I would even say this, that the author of 1 Samuel probably isn't even judging David for it. It's probably like, well, that's okay, because he was wiping out our previous enemies anyway. So let's put the map back up here. So when, uh, when David's asked who he's raiding against, the response he's giving is that, hey, I was out making raids in the Negeb. Okay, so the Negeb is at the southern part of Israel, and it's kind of where you drift into Africa and Egypt on the west, or you roll into the Middle East on the, uh, the southeastern part there. Um, but it's kind of this, this area down here, and for them, this is where Israel and Israel's allies, many of them would have been. And so David says, I've been raiding uh, Israelites and their allies. That's what Achish is hearing. And so he's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Like, I like that. I don't like him either. And you're raiding them, taking their stuff. Word's going to get out. And here's this great David, great and mighty David. And now they're all going to hate you. You will forever be a Philistine and in my service. That's what he's thinking. So that's why he's so happy. Um, but the truth is, David is actually raiding historical enemies of Israel. And he's going out and just wiping them out, taking their stuff, and he's bringing it back. And that's how he's providing uh, for his people. And so... I know, I know we wince at that and we should, um, and there does seem to be something wrong with that, but um, this, is, this is what David's doing. This is how he's providing for his guys. And so for me, this is where I think we go ahead and we pause in our story and we begin to talk about what I would say is our lessons, or in this case, lesson learned. 
I would have a question that I would love for us to banter, and we can't. This would be, if we're in like a coffee house and you're around tables, and I'd be like, all right, we're going to stop here for a second. I'm going to give you a question. Talk amongst yourselves, and then we're going to share our answers later. And the question I would ask you is this. Do you think David is truly trusting the Lord right now? And I would love for you to go talk about that and then give some response about why or why not do you think he is or isn't. Uh, but there's some things we do know about David right now. He has fled his land, the promised land of Israel. He is lying to protect himself. He is slaughtering people and stealing their stuff. I think that would lean towards somebody who's not trusting the Lord. I, I, I think what, what he has, and I, I don't, I'm not, I don't know David's world, but I feel like he's leaning on sin and self more than faith in the one who provides for him. Um, so this is, this is where I think we can kind of begin to engage what's going on. Now, David, I think is, I think at this point, he, I think he's broken, spiritually broken. Uh, he's struggling to trust the Lord, even though he's writing these Psalms about trust the Lord, I think he's struggling to trust the Lord and he's got his own issues, but he's also carrying this weight of leadership. Now I want to give that a little emphasis as well. When you're responsible for hundreds, if not thousands of people, for their well-being, for their livelihood, and they're all looking to you for answers. The stress that would have been on David during that time would have been remarkable. I mean, like, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you provide for everybody? How do you make these great decisions? So I think the weight of leadership uh, is probably really painful on him. But it does seem to me probably, like the whole thing, the whole package, like if he's crying out to God, like, God, what are you doing? I think God would say this to him. I think God would say, I'm training you. I'm training you to trust me when you can't see what's coming. I think this is what he would say to him. Um, because this is definitely faith stretching and faith training, faith equipping. And I'd even say, we know David's going to be the future king of Israel. And he kind of knows it too, though he can't figure out how it's going to work out. This is definitely king training. What do I do when I've got enemies against me? What do I do when I've got to provide for a bunch of people? What do I do when I don't know what to do? Like, this is king training. Like, this is life training. This is, this is excellent for him, but he hates it, which is why I think God lets us struggle. I think the struggles in your life are there because God puts them there. I really do. And I think they're good for you. I do. Because I think this time, like, when you're going through stuff, and almost everybody's going through stuff, right? Because here's, here's a normal journey of faith. If I ask you, how's life going? And you're giving me a summary. It's more than just a passing in the whole conversation. You're giving me a summary of life. You would say something like, Life is pretty hard right now, or life is pretty good right now, but, and then you give me this, like, if I could just work out this, and I could just work out that, and I could just work out this, then if these things could come together, man, life would be so much better, right? Because everybody in their life all the time has a few areas that are a little out of whack. And your thought is, if I could just get them in whack, <laughs> like, then, then things would be great. And, and, and then, then it would be smooth, and it would be better. But right now, it's frustrating. Okay, so let's pause for a second. Hats, hats off that. Let's talk about a new conversation. When's the last time in your life that everything was working great? Hmm. Never. <laughs> so does this mean then you're going to live the rest of your life discouraged and frustrated until you step into eternity? Or are you going to learn to trust God and even in the midst of the difficulties of life, taste a little bit of peace and a little bit of joy? Like that, that ends up, if we live with this myth that one day when I finally get over this and one day when I finally fix that relationship and one day when I finally get this financial thing taken care of, when I finally get the, like, you're never gonna finally get it all figured out. 
You're just gonna have to figure out how to trust God in the journey. That's, that's what you can figure out. The rest you're gonna have to just trust him with. Uh, like, this is how life is. David's still trying to figure this out. And what I think God is doing is God's like putting him in difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. And David is just praying for peace, peace, peace. And God's like, I can't teach you through peace. I gotta teach you through difficulty. And I would say the same thing for you. It's really hard to teach you through peace. But in difficulty, you are begging him to teach you, right? So is it more likely God's gonna keep you in difficulty or in peace? We don't wanna answer that question. <laughs> Just move on. Uh, so here's David wrestling with not being very heroic, but being what I would call very normal. What we're seeing in David's life is also true in your life, that, the, that sanctification is a journey. Sanctification is always a journey. So this is what I mean by that. So everybody has to come to some point in life where you figure out what you're gonna do with Jesus, right? Either you're gonna believe that he is the son of God who gave himself for you, who has, who has satisfied your debt with sin. You're gonna put your faith in him as your, as your Lord, your rescuer, your savior, your redeemer, uh, and you're gonna follow him as his child, or you're gonna bail on that whole thing and say, I can't buy into it. I'm gonna I'm just go away from this whole nonsense. Uh, one or the other. But if you decide you're in, if you decide you're in, you're like, all right, I am in. I believe he died for me. He rose again from the grave. He satisfied my debt with God. He is my Lord. I am his child. That is not the end of the journey of faith. It's the beginning. And from there, you begin to grow, right? And, and, and sanctification is a journey. You don't wake up the next day and you are perfect in every way, right? And so the way I've always heard it explained is this, that sanctification is, is both positional and experiential, it's positional in that the moment I put my faith in Christ, I am declared by God to be holy, pure, forgiven, his child, a priest in the kingdom of God. Like I, all these truths become immediately uh, real in my life. This is, defines me now. But my experience of sanctification, it's a journey. So the apostle Paul reflected on this, and I love what he did. He, he chose a historical event, and then he put it in language that reflects the Christian experience. And he did this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And it says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the Apostle Paul was thinking back to an event that occurred years ago. So many years ago in Israel, Moses, meant, uh, he went to meet with God on a mountain. And when he met with God, the glory of God shone in such brilliance that the skin of Moses absorbed it. And when he came down from the mountain, people couldn't look at him. They were like, Moses, like, we can, like the glory of God is, is so, so much on you, we can't even look at it. Could you please cover your face so that at least we could look at you? And it reminds me of those, um, those glow-in-the-dark stars we used to put on our ceilings as kids. <laughs> Maybe some of you all remember those. And, and the thing with those little stars is if you take a flashlight and put it on that star and just hold it there for a little bit and then turn out all the lights, I mean, it just it glowed so bright. It was totally awesome. But that would, that would fade after a while. And that was the glory of God on Moses, is that he had to cover it initially, but eventually it kind of faded away till you couldn't even see it really anymore. And the Apostle Paul looked at that. And he's like, you know what? He said, 
The experience of the Christian is the opposite. The experience of the Christian is this. You step into the glory of Christ, and the glory of Christ begins to emanate from you and from your life. But different than Moses, like as you walk in this journey of sanctification, becoming more and more Christ-like, you reflect more and more the image of God to the point where you get to like Jesus is just recognizable on you. The glory of God is emanating from your life. But you just don't, you don't start there. You end up there. It's a journey to get there. So for us, then, sanctification is a journey. So I've heard it explained a couple of ways. One of the ways was from a, a former teacher at Columbia International University named Huli Goddard. And Huli used to talk about this thing called the growth box. So the growth box was this, this idea, that God will bring you to a threshold, all right? Now, a threshold is at the base of your front door at your house. Like when you go to open your door, you step over something to get into your house. Now, it'll either be a little small bump or a bigger bump, uh, but the threshold is there on purpose. <laughs> it's to prevent water intrusion, and you know you don't want that in your house. That's why nobody has a flat uh, you know, space going into your house. Um, but the threshold, you kind of have to step over. It's not hard to step over. You just step over it, and you walk into your house. But the idea is this. That's what God does in your spiritual life. He'll bring you to this threshold, and the threshold for you is a threshold of trust, whether you believe the Lord's going to be there for you or not. So he's going to bring you up to this difficulty and he's going to be like, I just want you to step over this and trust me. And the thought is, if I cross the threshold, I step into a new room of faith, a new room of growth and development. But, but if you don't step over, God's going to bring you back again and again and again until you learn that lesson. And when you learn that lesson, you can step into this room of growth. And you'll think, like, I've arrived. Okay, I, I made it. I, I'm trusting God now. And you'll be like, okay, great. Let's go to the next threshold. And you're like, how many are there? You're like, oh, there's a, there's a, there's a ton. Um, and so uh, uh, the guy that discipled me in college, he said, let me, he explained it to me like this. He said, I want you to picture a pyramid, turn it upside down, and then pretend it's a staircase. And so this, this, it makes sense. So this idea that the first step God asks you to take in your Christian life, it's a little tiny step, just a little tiny, it's a small step. And so I want to go back to me as a, a young man. So I went to Appalachian State University and um, I got a business degree. And so you could say I majored in business, but I'll be honest with you, I really, I really majored in Jesus while I was at App State. I just fell so in love with the Lord. I, once somebody really explained it to me and I really began to understand it. I was reading my Bible all the time, going to Bible studies all the time, going to church all the time, listening to Christian music all the time. Like I just immersed myself in Jesus. Um, and then I, I began to grow and God really began to stretch me. And so I remember when I was really first starting to grow, I came to that first little tiny step and, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I, I remember the stuff I had to deal with. So one of those is when I was a younger man, I had a really filthy mouth. And uh, you hopefully are looking at me thinking, I could never see that. Uh, others are looking at me going, I totally see that. But either way, um, like I, I had a filthy mouth. And so you get to this point where you're like, okay, I, I don't think Jesus would want that of me. I don't think Jesus went around uh, saying dirty things. If he ever hit his thumb as a carpenter, I bet he didn't swear. Um, and so like, I'm gonna make this step. And so I kind of, I take this step of trust. And so I come up here and I'm like, okay, I'm trusting God. I'm not going to curse anymore. I'm going to get that out of my life. And so you finally get to a point where that's kind of getting out of your life, you know, even when you stub your toe. And you're like, all right, all right, look at me, growing in my faith. I don't swear, woo! And then God's like, all right, all right, let's take the next step. Let's deal with how you view women and interact with them. And you're like, oh, whoa, whoa. Like, that's a, that's a little bit bigger step there. And you look down, the step's a little bit bigger. Now, here's the thing. If God were to raise my head up at that point and show me the rest of that pyramid, 
I'd be overwhelmed. I'd be like, oh my goodness, those stairs up there are huge. How do I get over those things? And that's why I love God just takes you to the next. And this is the threshold thing. Like, hey, forget all that. Let's just focus on this next thing in front of you. This is the next thing in front of you. And so then I got to deal with this. And I was dating a non-Christian girl. And I felt like God really put that before me. You're going to trust me to provide for you or, or, and dump this girl? Or are you going to stay with this girl and just struggle in, in some sin? And, uh, and so in faith... I broke up with that girl. Now, praise God, because then I met my wife. I married her, and she's awesome. So good trade. Trusting God always works, right? So I did that. So I do that. And then God's like, all right, okay. And again, you're like, I'm growing. I'm growing in my faith. Now, you don't know there's a thousand steps in front of you. You've taken two, right? But then it's like, all right, let's go to the next one. So God put something else in front of me. And so then I'm taking that step. And here's the thing. Like, that's the Christian life. It is step after step, after step, trusting God, headed towards Christ's likeness. Now, in the journey, this is what happens. At some point in the journey, if not right away, you get to the point where you look at that step in front of you and in that threshold, and you say, I can't do this. Like, this is too big for me. Like, when you get to that moment, praise God. Like, it's always been too big for you. You just didn't realize it to begin with. So here's the thing God will say to you. When you get to that moment, you're like, I can't do this. I can't cross that threshold. I can't take that step. This is what God will say to you. This is exactly why I'm not leaving you to do it on your own. I have given you the power of God in the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells you and through you can supernaturally do stuff you don't think you can do. So when you get to that step, you get to that step and you're like, I can't do it. I can't trust God here. I don't know what to do. He's going to give you all the resources you need in the person of his Holy Spirit. You can do it. So don't come to these points anymore and say, I can't do this. Like, I can do this because I know who I am in Jesus. I know who indwells me. I know the power of God is in me to do more than I can even think or imagine. And I am capable of overcoming this. This is a fruit of the spirit that he bears out in me. And I, I get it. You get to these points sometimes in life where you feel like, I am so trapped in this thing. I don't know if I can get out. All right, stop for a second. I want to go back to David. David is living in Philistine territory. He has pledged faithfulness to a Philistine king. He is willing, at least mentally, to fight and kill his own people. He's not doing it yet, but he has made the commitment that he would. And you're going to find out before this um, uh, book of 1 Samuel is over that he's actually ready to go to battle against Israel. Now, if you were to ask David, are you trapped? David would say, I am trapped. I have no way out of this. But God did. And so what David needed to realize is that I can trust God even when I see no way out. And David will get out of this situation because God will deliver him. He just needs to trust him. And that's the struggle that I think we typically have. It's like, I want to get through this. I want to grow through this, but I'm just not sure. I'll tell you what you can be sure about, that God's there for you. I don't know the outcome of your situation, but I know God's always good. And I know he takes care of his kids. There's this great quote by this, uh, this pastor who, uh, I, it was funny, I said this uh, last service. He's a pastor from the 1900s. I, I'm actually from the 1900s. <laughs> like, that's a sense so long ago. Um, so Vance Havner, he's passed away now. He did uh, die in the 1980s, but uh, uh, one of the best decades of, of music. Anyway, so Vance Havner dies, uh, but this is, he wrote this devotional called All the Days. And in this devotional, he makes this comment. Faith goes ahead anyway. Not doubting the sun because the clouds obscure it. Believing God anyway. Now, I love this because immediately it's apparent what he's saying. Like when the clouds cover the sky, you don't sit back and go, I guess we don't have a sun anymore. Like that thing's just gone forever. You're like, you go, no, there's still a sun. It's behind the clouds. Logically, of course, I know that's true. So why is it then when our lives get obscured, we begin to doubt and question God? 
Like, did he stop being good just because your life got a little hard? Did he stop providing for his kids because you can't see how it's going to work out? Like, no, not logically, of course not. So what do I need to do? I need to stop and remind myself that I can trust God even if I can't see how this is going to work out. I'm at a threshold. And the response is this. God, I trust you. I'm just going to walk in faith. And whatever you've got for me, we'll find out, right? All right, bow your heads with me for a second. Bow your heads. All right, God, um, right now I know that we are all going through stuff. Everybody's got stuff in their lives. In fact, we probably have multiple things that we're going through. Lord, I want to ask you right now in the presence of all of us here, is there something in our lives right now that you want to challenge us on? That we are not trusting you in something? I pray you would bring that to our minds, Father. Whatever that thing is that we're not trusting you in. And then, Father, just in the quietness of our own hearts and minds, would you just hear from us? We're sorry, Father. We have not been trusting you. Our faith has become a little bit obscured and we've begun to doubt whether you're good. We begin to doubt whether you'll provide. We begin to doubt whether you'll rescue. Lord, that's on us, that's not on you. Please forgive us. As you've brought us to this threshold, Lord, we would just pray this. We will step in faith and we will just expect that our good and loving God will meet us on the other side of this. Forgive our fear, fill us with faith, and remind us that your spirit can lead us to places we never thought we could go. In your holy name, amen.